they don't tell you when you buy an accordion, but it comes with a free gift of celibacy. <laughs> Lifetime guarantee. Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by schooloflaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Hello and welcome to the School of Last podcast. Rick Roberts here. Hope you're having a great summer. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, sharing today's episode, the interview with Kristen Weber, very funny lady from Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta, Georgia now. She's ping-ponged around the U.S. a little bit, as you'll hear in the interview. I'll get to that in just a second. I do want to say thanks to several different groups of folks. First off, all the students who participated last week, last Thursday in our graduation show here in Nashville, Tennessee, did a great job. We had about 11 students that graduated and uh, did their first three-minute set uh, at the Third Coast Comedy Club. May not have been their first set ever. Some of them hit open mics after the classes, but everybody held their own, did well, and got to see a lot of former students, too. A lot of folks you've heard on the podcast, Lee Harden, Chris Cherry, Johnny W., uh, a lot of folks, and Christy Condor was there as well. Just a great show. So I was happy with that, proud of the students that went through the class, took it, graduated, and hopefully they'll stick with it because I always say my retirement plan is traveling the country, opening up for my former students, and uh, I see potential in several of them to do that. So bring me along. I don't want to be eating just craft macaroni and cheese in my retirement. I want to be out there on the road opening for you guys. Also, like to thank our Patreon supporter for this episode, uh, Alan Michael Harbor. Alan just jumped in at the uh, $7 a month level to help the podcast sustain itself. And I also received a great email from Alan, and he said I was okay to uh, read this on the air, even though that wasn't his intention when he sent it to me. But I just want to share this to encourage those of you who maybe listened to the first time or just started. He says, hello, Rick. It was only a couple of months ago that I stumbled onto your podcast. And just a couple of weeks ago, I took your level one online writing course. Before I took it, when I did open mics, I wasn't really getting laughs. Maybe a chuckle here, chuckle there. But thanks to your writing class, I was able to simplify my jokes. And I even changed the structure and delivery. And for the first time, I got good, solid laughs. A huge leap from what I was doing. I was getting discouraged, but that night renewed my confidence. I also find it easier to write material because now I can figure out what I want to say and work off of that. And it's easier to write multiple short jokes about a subject and add them together to force a whole set out of one subject. I just want to thank you for everything and we'll work hard to improve for the future. Alan Michael Harbor. That is a great email and that's exactly why I do these uh, podcast, why well, I offer the online writing course for people who are stuck or just can't figure out what's not right. Uh, as Alan knows and the folks that have taken the classes, it kind of puts you through the paces and you can diagnose why you do get laughs, why you don't get laughs, and how you can get to the laughs quicker. So if you're feeling a little discouraged about your stand-up, not sure how to take it to the next level, Take a class in your local town, or if you don't have one, jump onto the schooloflaughs.com website and check out the information about my online writing class. Uh, you can take it by yourself, self-paced. You could take it and send me homework, and I kind of check it out and show you where you can punch things up a little bit. And there's a third level where I can actually check into your videos and give you some 
feedback on your live performances. So whatever level you're at or what kind of feedback you want, there's a class offering for you. And again, that's at schooloflast.com. If you are a Patreon supporter, just like Alan Michael, you can join us on our next Zoom Hangout. It's Saturday, July 28th from 1 to 2 p.m. Central Standard Time here in the U.S. of A. Again, that's July 28th from 1 to 2 it's a Saturday. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'll uh, inform everyone who is a Patreon supporter about the topic for that phone call, and we'll hang out. Last, before I jump into the podcast, I'm going to be traveling. I'd like to see you guys, maybe even interview some of you. I'll be in Toronto, Canada, coming up the week after this release, July 18th and 19th. It's a Wednesday and Thursday. be shooting some commercials up there in the daytime. I believe I'll have some time in the evenings to maybe meet up and do an interview. Uh, hop on the email really quickly if you think you want to be part of that, schooloflast at gmail.com. Also out in Los Angeles, California on August 1st and 2nd. I should have some afternoons available there to do some hanging out or some podcast recordings if you want to jump on the air. And then I'll be in New Orleans on July 21st. So any of those dates that uh, might be good for you, if you're in those areas, uh, shoot me an email. Let's see if we can set something up. If not, uh, no harm, no foul. But if so, that'd be great. Get some more listeners and some more comedians on the show that I haven't had a chance to get to. All right. That was way too much pre, pre-conversation. pre uh, Let's get right into today's episode, sponsored by Alan Michael Harbour and the Art of Bombing podcast, which you'll hear about in the middle of the interview. This is Kristen Weber from Atlanta, very funny lady. I think you're going to enjoy uh, her perspective and her angle and her candidness about some struggles she went through and how she got past them. Well, I am here with Kristen Weber. How is it going, ma'am? It is going well. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. It's a sunny day finally after five days of rain. Oh, nice. It's been the same in Atlanta. I drove up this morning to Nashville. So Nashville traffic is nothing compared to Atlanta, right? Nothing. People no. keep saying it's getting close. It's not even close. Atlanta is a paradox because they don't believe in parking, but then the highway is a parking lot. So <laughs> That's what they do all of just, it. Yeah, everything happens on the highway. Kind of adjusting to life in the South. Yeah, you came last from Colorado? Colorado, yeah, big change. Colorado Springs is where I was, and it's like living in a postcard. I have a good friend that has runs a church down in Colorado Springs. I, a lot of people run churches in Colorado, <laughs> and a lot of nonprofits. It's a mecca. Is it really? We, we pray in the direction of focus on the family. <laughs> how, how long did you live there? Two years. Okay, and what was the comedy scene like around the Denver area? Um, I actually stuck to the Colorado Springs area, and it was actually pretty decent. They have a comedy club there, and so I would host there, do guest spots, and then um, there are a few other rooms, um, and then uh, churches, and and then I would fly out, of course, for shows. And that was when I would go to Denver to the airport, and you go through like 16 different weather phenomenons <laughs> in <laughs> 60 miles. Yeah, you do. In Colorado Springs, you don't like. I think I went through. It was 70 degrees where I left, and then I drove through sleet, snow, and rain to get to the airport in one (laughs) trip. I know. Every time I've had to go to Colorado Springs or Pueblo or somewhere south of Denver and then come back up, like you got to give yourself extra time and change snow tires and put chains on. Yeah. It's brutal. And then you need to be ready. The airport's a good six hours from Denver. 
once you get up that way. Yeah, I know. It <laughs> you can. It's like the mountains and stuff. You can see it. You just can't get there you soon enough. You can't get to it, yeah. Well, so what brought you to Atlanta? Was it just change the scenery, family, or? Both. Yeah, um, yeah easier access to airports, mm. and uh, family was there, and more family was planning to move there, and it just seemed like a good time to make it my home base, mm. and uh, it's a cheaper place to live than Colorado Springs as well, which you don't think of Colorado Springs as being expensive but it's in the mountains close to skiing and yeah. so and it's very transient as well so gotcha. uh south was much better i can just park my trailer and yeah. <laughs> pull it right on over yeah <laughs> right. on the highway park yeah it on plant the highway. some flowers in an old toilet and <laughs> call it a day and you've got a few comedy buddies that live in atlanta right yeah i've made friends uh sam beeman's there claiborne cox is there i don't know if you know cyrus Steele. he's i haven't there. met cyrus yet he's hilarious think. he's an incredible comic um I'm trying to think who else. Um, I know Lisa Mills and Kay Daughter around. A lot are in like the Woodstock area or mm-hmm. south uh, of the city. Not a lot are like in the city city. In Atlanta now, yeah, you mentioned Sam Beeman, mm-hmm. uh, Claiborne Cox, who I've had on the podcast recently, funny guy. Cyrus, I, I feel like I've met him, but I haven't worked with him. And he's been hitting it pretty hard lately. Yeah, he's uh, kind of up and coming very fast. So he... Um, works the club scene a lot but he works clean so he he's one of those uh unique individuals that crosses over very easily yeah that's cool now when did you get started in comedy all together i have been very off and on with it um i think i started seven or eight years ago is when i did my first few open mics and then i was like a year before i did anything else and then i hit it pretty steady for a few years and then i needed to take what i call a dignity break Uh oh what happened (laughs) Um, no, I just had a string of really bad shows and experiences. Mm. And what I told myself is if I bomb 12 times in a row, I can quit with a clear conscience. I gave it That's a good shot. <laughs> yeah, that was my limit. And <laughs> I I think I bombed pretty consistently for almost an entire year. Oh, wow. And not only that, but just the experiences were weird and nothing went well. And I just got burnt out. It's like, there's no way God could have called me to this. And jokes weren't working and I wasn't enjoying it. So I took a break. That's when I moved to Colorado and took about a year off and then started getting back into it. And it's gotten a lot better. Do you think the, that year long struggle, were you doing a lot of different material every single time or I mean, did you give it the material chance to develop or were you always trying a new set out every single set or? It was was both. Old material that consistently had done well stopped doing well and I was trying to introduce new stuff and Mm -hmm. it wasn't doing well. And the strange thing is, is now I'm doing a lot of the same material and it is going well. So Mm -hmm. I don't know, something's changed about my performance and I wish I had filmed more of my sets then. I hate watching myself on camera. It's absolute torture, but it has, it's the best way to (laughs) grow. It is tough. Did, um, that's interesting. So a whole year of of just, was it, you think it was the environment as much as anything else? Were you playing in places where they didn't respect the clean angle or the clever angle or they were, you know, I hate to say the crowd's always dumbed down. We're a different level, but do you think there was a bigger gap in some of those places? Um, it very well could be. It could have been just the gigs that I ended up with consistently were tough audiences, mm-hmm. which tough audiences are good. I I see the benefit of them now, right. and I enjoy them. They teach you something. Even when you're not getting laughs, I think I, I grow more as a comic 
plowing through those sets yeah. um, than when I have a set that is in front of a crowd that's just eating it right out of your hand. Those are so much more fun, but you don't grow it's as nice much as It's nice to have one of those comic. once in a while. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, but I think also part of it was, and I, I have a joke about it in my act about I don't like being in front of people. Like I, I, I'm still scared of being in front of an audience, which is different than a lot of comics who eat that up. Like mm-hmm. they live for those 60 minutes at the end of the day where they get to go do their set. And I live for those 60 minutes to see if my material works. I don't enjoy being in front of people. I don't enjoy attention on my myself. <laughs> like my biggest fear, ironically, is if I'm in a comedy, in a crowd, in a comedy show is being called out. I hate that. I just mm-hmm. want to sit in the back and be totally anonymous. And then when you're on the stage, you can't be anonymous. So you have to be on. So right. I'm classic stand-up comic introvert. But then I'm also an introvert who's scared of being in front of people. How do you? So how do you mentally prepare for each show when you know that, you know, you're up there to present the material? You feel like you're like the conduit to the material, and you don't want to be the focus. You want the material to be the focus. It sounds like. Yeah. So how do you get in the frame of mind where? I mean, it's like. It's like getting ready for a prize fight or something. You got like getting that Rocky music in the background or something. It's like going to a very humorous octagon. Um, Yeah, I I focus on um, the angle of I've been given a gift, the ability to look at the world and see it in a humorous light. Mm -hmm. And it's a gift that I know blesses people because I know it's blessed me during tough times of my life. Mm -hmm. I always go to comedy. That's Mm -hmm. my go-to. So I know I have the opportunity to do that for somebody else. And so I try to remove myself from the equation. And I think that's what's changed from when I did comedy when I was in my 20s because I'm in my 30s now. And I don't care what anybody says, getting older is amazing like the alternative is going back to our middle school years right. which <laughs> right. like i will take adult diapers and walkers over that any yeah. day yeah. um but when you're in your 20s everybody there's a lot of pressure on you to kind of figure things out everybody's giving mm-hmm. you advice and then when you hit 30 people assume you've peaked and they leave you alone yeah. <laughs> so then you can just do your thing right. so there's no pressure on me they're like well she's probably gone as far as she can go and then i can just do my right. thing and <laughs> surprise everybody <laughs> that's pretty funny it is it's true <laughs> a lot of ways though because you know a you start taking the pressure off yourself a little bit because you know there's a there's a bigger picture than just you having a killer show that means a lot for one hour to some people mm-hmm. the rest of the globe has no idea it even happened yeah but when you are past that point and you're looking at using the hour or 30 minutes or whatever it is to serve others then i would assume you look forward to a little bit more knowing that I'm not just hogging this gift. I'm sharing it. Yes. And I look forward to, cause I enjoy people and I enjoy their stories and I enjoy connecting with them. Mm-hmm. So what I found that, um, blesses me through comedy is hearing where people connect with the act. And it's, it's interesting cause I talk about being homeschooled. I talk about, um, being getting older, being single in the church. And I'm a very content single. And one, I have a line in my act that it's, uh, somebody gave me the advice. They were like, just find someone who makes you happy. And the joke is, well, I'm already happy. Can't I just marry someone who will make me rich? <laughs> so that's the joke. But the part that people gravitate toward is they're like the part where you say, I'm already happy that I've gotten so many comments on that part of the setup and it's kind of created dialogue Uh almost with these strangers who connect and they're like, Oh yeah, it's okay to be happy even though we don't meet society's like timeline for our life. Right. It's it's funny. My preacher just a couple weeks ago was talking about 
Um, he was talking to the general congregation of not putting so much pressure on the singles mm-hmm. because they're able to serve without having to double check with family if they can go do this and do that. They have they're like single with a mission, yeah, to serve God. And they they can actually go do more things. Yes, you know we can use and abuse them more. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. I'm <laughs> yeah. just kidding. <laughs> we can put them on. Yeah. <laughs> they can do childcare every week, every single weekend. But yeah, there's more opportunities to go do things, you know, and I and I think. Yeah, I've never thought of it in terms of everybody has to be married or whatever, but like society yeah, does. And, and, yeah, they do. And so they're always like, what's wrong with that guy? What's wrong with that gal? They don't know what Sunday school class to put us in. Yeah. Is what it is. Yeah, that's true. Like, they don't know do we where call to it put a, us. Uh, can't call it a matchmaking class, but you know. Because I call it the life progression Sunday school where you start off in college and then you go to young singles and careers, then newly married, then parents, and then like right. harvesters and whatever you call it. And if you miss your bus... Yeah. You got to walk. <laughs> yeah. You're in the advanced stages in, of youth. That's what's going on right there. Exactly. No, well, I joke that because <laughs> I've heard many sermons where they talk about marriage being like God's main way of sanctifying you. And I'm like, I guess I'm already sanctified. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> he already thinks I'm perfect if That's I don't right. need a spouse. That's right. Who need, and <laughs> no, one day if I do get married, I will come back and I will eat that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> joke. <laughs> You'll hear a lot about that joke. <laughs> it be, yeah. It'll keep coming around. Are you happy now? Ha <laughs> <Right. laughs> um, So I recently moved to the south. Um, I now live in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah, we have some Southerners. It's great to be here with all y'all. Did I say that right? Atlantans. Um, Yeah, but it always takes a little while to feel settled in a new area when you move. Um, But I'm gradually starting to feel like an actual Southerner. Um, Like I paid my taxes in Georgia this year. Um, I planted flowers and some old tires. I joined eHarmony and got matched with my brother. (laughs) I want to create a dating website specifically for the South called Appalachian Matchin. (laughs) Where it just connects you with your closest available cousins. (laughs) I was going to call it 12fingerchildren.com, but that didn't test as well. going to jump in here just for a second and uh, give you a little update on our sponsor. We've got a new sponsor for the show. It's the Art of Bombing podcast. Uh, here's a little information about them, and you can click through in the show notes to go right to it and subscribe to their podcast. I think you'll dig it. Calling all comedians and fans of comedy. Join me, Dan Bublitz Jr., every Tuesday for the Art of Bombing podcast as I talk with comedians of all levels about their worst shows and what can be learned from them. Learning lessons not only to become better comedians, but better people. The Art of Bombing takes an in-depth look at bombing on stage to turn failure into success. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe today. That's great. So, um, so you, you mentioned you do churches. Do you do? Um, well, I know you you blogs. I've read a couple of your blogs, and it looks like you've done some of the the women's retreats and conferences. Are you? I mean, I know as comics we kind of take all kinds of gigs. Yeah. You know, anything that's that's incoming, we usually say yes to it. But is there something that your heart speaks to the most? Like if I could spend all my time doing this type of event, that's where I would be. Um, or are you still open to? You know what? I have learned to like um, a lot of different events and appreciate them for what they are, which is not something that I used to be able to say. I used to be very pigeonholed in my mind as to what I wanted to do. Um, women, uh, women's events have 
grown on me a lot. Um, I didn't used to enjoy those because I didn't feel like I identified with Christian women on a whole. I'm not a froofy, fluffy, Pinteresty person. Mm-hmm. I'm not super touchy feely. Um, so I didn't always identify with how women's ministries went. Um, but I've learned to love that crowd. And I found that there's a lot of women who are not like that. Mm-hmm. And by doing comedy for those, I get to speak to those women too. Um, in a way that sometimes women's events miss. And then um, I love doing youth. I love the middle and high school crowd. And it's actually, well, I do more speaking. I've done straight up comedy for both middle and high school. Middle school, never again. Mm -hmm. They do not get straight up one-liners at that age. Um, (laughs) And then high school is hit or miss. They're very invested. They don't always laugh, but they react big. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of fun. Um, but I enjoy speaking to both of those and I'm on the, the camp circuit this summer. So I'll be speaking at a bunch of different middle and high school camps. That's great. And I'm I, so excited about it. I think that's, that's where a huge need is for the comedic speaker slash comedian. And to me, it's terrifying. Like that, that age group, even oh, yeah. though I've, I've got a kid in middle school and he's got a pretty good sense of humor, but I couldn't imagine standing in front of a room full or auditorium full because uh, so my hat's off to you. That's awesome. Yeah. What Do you have a, a specific message to them that they bring you in to deliver? Don't be stupid. No, that's not <laughs> it. Um, I do tell them that. Um, I do several different ones because when you go to these camps, sometimes they bring you in for a one night or something, mm-hmm. but these ones I'm there the whole week. So I have different messages for each day and, of course, different stories and stuff to kind of go with them. And mm-hmm. you have to kind of understand who you're speaking to and you have to keep it light and entertaining so that the message will be received, um, which is where the comedy comes in. And I was such an awkward kid, awkward middle school, all awkward all. I think I'm still kind of awkward. Like you don't grow out of it sometimes. So it's fun for me to speak to that and be like, it gets better. I promise you, you either change or you stop caring. So one, one (laughs) or the other apathy will take over. Apathy is way underrated. (laughs) Like (laughs) we need more of it. And then you bust out the accordion and show them, hey, some things never change. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, this is what you play if you want to have no friends. That's funny. I want to talk about the accordion a little bit. Sure. Uh, I worked with Judy Tenuta once, but other than mm-hmm. that, I haven't worked with anybody. Well, no, I worked with Weird Al three times, so. Oh, that's um, awesome. He's my accordion idol. He's, he's pretty phenomenal, isn't he? He's an incredible entertainer. For people that don't understand the accordion, um, what he does with it, what you do with it, obviously, and, and singing on, on top of all that. It's like carrying around a piano and singing, right? Yeah, you're like, you have a piano strapped to you, basically. And I call it a modern day chastity belt. Um, <laughs> so it's, and you'll hear it to, uh, on Sunday at the showcase, but I, um, I make jokes about, I mean, it's the reason I'm still single, comes with the gift of celibacy. It's just uh. a awkward instrument. And um, nobody nobody plays it outside of Eastern Europe or people who immigrated from mm-hmm. Eastern Europe. Outside uh, of Oktoberfest, it's not a lot going on. October. <laughs> I went to the National Accordion Association Convention, which, yes, is oh, a boy. thing, and Christopher Guest needs to make one of those oh, mockumentaries about it. Um, <laughs> I was... This is how young I was compared to the next youngest person. They thought I was in high school. That's how young I looked to these people. Oh, wow. For like that, you have to be really old to think someone in their late twenties at the time looks like they're in right. high school. <laughs> so, 
That is too crazy. And did you pick that up early in life playing the accordion? No, I didn't. I uh, have only played it, uh, I think, like six years. I was doing a sketch show in California when I lived there, and I wanted a character that I was working on to play it. And so I, I... went on Craigslist and getting my first accordion went down like a drug deal. I, (laughs) yeah, I was on Craigslist and I got it from this (laughs) Armenian man in Glendale, California. And he was like, pull into this back alley and I will be out. Like it was literally this unmarked (laughs) building. He came out, I gave him a wad of cash. He put an accordion in my car and I drove away. I was like, I probably should have checked the merchandise to make sure (laughs) I didn't just like start some kind of illicit drug deal that is hilarious i should probably check the inside of it and make sure it's still not smuggling it could be like a a mule of some sort yeah exactly so so you get did you play piano before i did i've been a pianist for many years since i was a very small child okay so how was that transition to so you're i guess because i don't play accordion the right hand is like the high notes and the left hands of the buttons right yeah yeah that's so right you got the you got it the chords yeah, over here you'd be a prodigy. um yeah just so just imagine playing um the right hand being like a sideways piano okay and then the left hand is the buttons only you can't see them at all and they're not marked and there's a lot of them there's a lot of them um i can't remember how many i'm very uneducated about right? my accordion yeah there's like uh I think there's a hundred something buttons on mine. And once you figure out the pattern, you can understand it. They, they go up in fifths. So down and fourths, up in fifths. And so it's actually easier if you understand chords because the one, four and five are all right next to each other. Okay. So I know that most of what you need is right there. It's when you have to start jumping around that it gets tricky. That's crazy. And so, uh, how long did you work with it before you started adding some words and, Messing around some parody stuff. Um, it was a while. I had it, and then I. It took me a long time to be like, oh, I should be using this in my stand-up mm-hmm. act. And then whenever I had a song I wanted to parody, I had to learn it on the accordion, which took a long time. But it actually helped me learn the accordion. So it was a few years, and then I would start off with like one song, and then I was hauling the accordion all over for one song. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so I was like, I should probably start adding More stuff, stuff to this. So I'm. It's gradually building. It takes me a while to kind of latch on to a song or parody that I'm happy with mm-hmm. enough to put it in front of a crowd but they're tricky parodies I, I don't I'm not a great singer whatsoever so I always have to find the song that has the two note range right right and then Footloose. it's like and then I'm <laughs> dun, like dun, I've dun. got six of these in a row like, yeah I remember my kid my son when he was like six he goes all your songs sound the same <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, yeah, they do. <laughs> He's like, why is that? I'm like, I can only sing like three notes. Do you do original songs as well? I only do original songs. Oh, you only really. do original songs. Okay. If I do a parody thing, it'll just be like a quick one-off, like 10 second. Yeah. Like I'll do the riff and say a joke and move on. Right, right. Um, so it's it's tricky. and uh, But I always found that the trick with parodies was by the time I could put one together, the song wasn't in the top 10 anymore or whatever. That's so that's exactly the problem I'm having right now. Yeah. So like finding an angle to where you just do, these are the songs I grew up with and you do parodies of them and that, yeah. that's what makes it work. Right. Right. You know, I just keep doing them. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean too, like as you move through the, like I wouldn't know what, so you're in front of like junior high kids. I guess mm-hmm. you just have to look at the, the pop charts and see what they're listening to and see if there's something catchy enough that you like, that you can also play that you mm-hmm. can, there's many steps to a parody. People don't appreciate the art of the parody, I don't think. Correct. Yeah. And it's so subjective because not everybody listens to the same music. So mm-hmm. it's hard to find a song that speaks to everybody. 
And, so and a topic that speaks to everybody. That's true. And then it has to stand up even if people have never heard the song. The yes. lyrics have to be funny enough for those yes. folks. Yes. So you're playing on multiple levels. You are. In the writing, the performance. And then there's a time limit. Yeah. Because the song kind of fades out of public eye. Yeah. That's tricky. And it then is. if you go to put it on a CD, there's rights uh-huh. issues you have to acquire, at least get the paperwork done. And then it just seems like there's so many levels. That's probably why. It's hard work. That's why I don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same. Are there other... Um, do you play any other instruments beside the piano and the ukulele accordion? a little bit? And so I've used that quite a bit in my act with original songs. I don't do parodies on that one, but I've done a couple of original songs okay. on that one. That's and a one easier is still to travel with. Much easier to travel with. And it's like a little backpack. So I look like a total nerd walking through the airport <laughs> and it's amazing. Um, but yeah, my opening, the opening of my act is a song and it's been the opening for a long time and it just works. So I haven't changed it and it, there's nothing pop culture in it. So mm-hmm. there's no time limit, but it's a great like little, this is what you're in for. Oh, that's great. <laughs> for the next seven hours. I need to see that. Cause I've always thought that's what I'm lacking is a song, a, a walk up song, like yeah. out of the gate, whether I had tracks or playing it or whatever, just yeah. like here's, I know what the first two minutes is going to be like and yep. it's going to set the tone. Yes. Let me watch it. Are you going to do that Sunday? I'm not actually. Okay. I think I did it when <laughs> I showcased four years ago and I still use it, uh-huh. but I think it's, it's like buried deep in <laughs> the dark net probably at this point. Okay. Um, I don't know where it is. Oh, Somebody fine. said that they found it recently and I was like, how did you, you would have had to stalk me pretty pretty well to find it because right. I can't find it. So in LA, you talked about doing some sketch work. Um, what group was that with or what process or theater or workshop? What kind? Um, I took classes at Groundlings. Oh, excellent. And then I, um, I took classes and became a company member at Acme Comedy Theater. That's out there. And so um, I did improv. I'm, a te- I'm terrible at improv. Um, I have a theory about people who are good at improv versus good at stand-up. So people who are really, really good at improv are super type A anal in everyday life, whereas improv requires the opposite side of your brain. So it's their chance to free up everything and they can just kind of let loose. Mm-hmm. Whereas comedians, our lives are disorganized, chaotic, out, like, don't look in my car. Like, it's, oh, I know. <laughs> you know, like archaeologists, they talk about stratigraphic layers. They're like, you can see what culture did. You could look in the back of my car and be like, she ate Chick-fil-A 14 times that week. Right. That week, she couldn't pick what shoes to wear, so she brought all of them. You can just yep. see the dilemmas I had in life based on my car. But, um, so comedians are are super, like, all over the place. So stand-up comedy is very well-honed, detail-oriented mm-hmm. craft. So we switch to our type A. So my theory is and I'm sure there's people who break my theory to shreds um, but my theory is it's the opposite of how you are in everyday life that's what you gravitate towards so I was terrible at improv um, but I, I ended up actually being better at stand-up because I could write it I could memorize it I kind of could analyze mm-hmm. it and no, I think there's something to that because I've done both and I think I don't know as a now that I'm more you know, not 100% stand-up and no improv these days I look back at the improv days and it was just, it was fun to discover stuff on stage. Sure, sure. And it, it almost wasn't impossible to repeat it, but you, you felt like it was cheating if you repeated anything yeah, ever yeah. again. Whereas stand up, you got to repeat it so many times to get mm-hmm. it just right. Yep. I mean, rarely do you get the, well, never do you get the entire joke the first time out. You might get a part of it, maybe two parts of it, a couple of taglines, but you don't have the whole thing for six, eight, ten months sometimes, you know, it just depends right. on how much you work it over mm-hmm. so yeah 
a good part of my brain would rather do improv so I can just show up and. Oh, I know. But there's not a lot of, in the brain to use anymore. I, don't th- <laughs> yeah. I think I'd be dusted pretty quick by somebody who's on their toes. I just got too nervous, like not knowing what was going to happen. Like it just made me really anxious before improv shows. And I finally got to the point where I was like, this isn't worth it. This is supposed to be fun and not like yeah. cause like night terrors. <laughs> no, I've had a few friends here in Nashville. They, they thought they would love the improv classes and mm-hmm. stuff and workshops. And they went there and they're like, it's terrifying. Like, yeah, there's, you're supposed to be in the moment, but if if you jump into the wrong part of the moment, they yell at you. you yes, know? exactly. They're yeah. like, there are no rules, but here are the rules. Yeah. It's got to be organic. All right. But <laughs> or if you say the word rots, no you know? in an improv class, the shame, the shame. Oh, it's you horrible. can't say no. <laughs> it's the worst, man. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Well, all those skills are coming together with your, with your stand-up, obviously. You've used a little bit of the, I'm sure, some of the sketch writing approaches and a little mm-hmm. bit of the improv stuff and... You're probably not terrified on stage if if you start riffing a little bit, you know, you can get right, back to your thing. Right, right. Yeah, it's getting better. It, it does get better, like, with anything. The more you practice it and mm-hmm. hone it, it gets it gets easier. So, That's cool. still not less terrifying, but it's an easier sort of terrifying. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the thing. You know what, for you, it sounds like you know what, going into it, it's going to be a certain amount of challenge, but, mm-hmm. but you're up for it now because you know the reward's out there for the others as well. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. It's just the knowledge that you can turn like 1,500 people against you in like seven words. <laughs> you really, <laughs> Not even seven sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it's hilarious. Yeah. Well, what are some um, what are some things you're looking forward to on the horizon here? You got some gigs coming up you're preparing for. I mean, the camp stuff sounds like it's going to take a lot of your summer up. Yeah. Um, the summer when which are typically slow mm-hmm. is I am. I mean, I'm I'm home like ten days out of June and July. Oh, good for you. Um. So I am. I'm looking forward to um speaking to the middle schoolers and the high schoolers, and uh, it's fun because you get to when you're there the whole week, you get to hang out with them and get to know them, and that's do that's what I enjoy. Yeah, do, do that. Well, lining. I'm always picked last for the team, but <laughs> yes, um, I'll cheer for them. And uh, and then I'm looking forward to when it's all done because I have a, a lot of work this summer and it's just go, go, go. I'm going to go to Costa Rica and watch the humpback whales migrate oh, cool. back up to cool. their home. <laughs> so I'm going to look forward to that. And my mom's convinced because I, I scuba dive and my mom, I shouldn't have told her I was doing this because I'm going by myself. And she was like, I just know you're going to get lost on a dive and you get sucked out into the ocean. <laughs> I was like, mom, <laughs> stop it. Because I have this theory that mom, when moms kind of say something's going to happen. Happen, uh-huh. it eventually does happen. So I'm like, stop, don't say anymore yeah. because if you keep saying it, you're a mom. You have they this like weird, powerful thing to like make it happen. Yeah, it's like some kind of gravity so, magnet to, yeah. to doom. But I was like, they don't just drop you into the middle of like the Caribbean Sea or like, good luck, here's a compass. That's hilarious. <laughs> don't get eaten by a whale. <laughs> um, that's, that is funny. Well, that's going to be exciting. Yeah. Hopefully, you'll have some energy after the. Camps to pull all that stuff off. I know. <laughs> yeah. I, might I mean, just you go. might need a, a week or two just to go. Yeah. I Man, think how about probably. That? You'll probably get acne just from hanging out with those kids. Probably. A little bit. It's funny because the, the girl, I don't know about the boys, like locker room, whatever, but the girls always uh, smells like, like a Bath and Body Works display or like a Target. It's just like <laughs> so much uh, like cheap, flowery, like sweet pea and violet smell. You're like, guys. You don't need that much. <laughs> right. I bet it is. Especially that age are still yeah. trying to figure out what, what oh they're supposed to be goodness. doing. Oh, my goodness. They're like, this is my scent. I was like, that should not, that should be an illegal substance right yep. there. It is <laughs> making me lightheaded. That's, yeah. Well, good luck with that. It's going to be Thank pretty you. cool. Yeah, it'll be neat. Um, I always like to end the podcast. Sometimes I forget to ask, but 
you know, you've been at comedy on and off, but for a while now, mm-hmm. seven years or so. What piece of advice would you give to somebody who's listening today? It might just just be starting, maybe not even haven't done an open mic yet. They're on their way there this week. Or is there something looking back? You go, this is a piece of advice that would be helpful that I wish somebody would have told me. Gosh, I. It's funny because people ask you that every now and then, the advice. And what I noticed when I was asking for advice is people would give, because everybody wants formulas and everybody wants this like path, the, the easiest path. I mean, honestly, a lot and of times. I think there's the one path. There's, there's right. Nobody exactly. has Exactly. No. Nobody does. And so that's exactly what would happen is I would listen and they were like, this is how you do it. Open mics, this and this. That's not how it worked for me. They're like, I was in Starbucks and said something funny on my phone, and there happened to be a club manager there, and he was like, hey, come do some time. And then I like got a regular spot every like, they're like <laughs> and then they tell you how like the same cut and paste mm-hmm. story, but then that's not how it worked for them. So I would say just start. Like just you just gotta make it. yourself do it. And you uh, comedy so much is figuring it out along mm-hmm. the way. I guess maybe try to be the least funny person in any room. Not like don't Set achievable goals. Yeah, set achievable <laughs> goals, but try to surround yourself by really funny oh, I get people, yeah, if yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Like when I produce shows, I always make sure I'm the least funny person on mm-hmm. the bill because I want to have something to work up to and to aspire to. So I don't know, just surround yourself as much as you can. Watch good yeah. comedy, hang out with funny people, learn from them, yeah. steal their jokes. Yeah. <laughs> Why on the gig? No, I'm just right before they go up. <laughs> right, right. No, I think that's good. There is, I think, a portion of every comedian out there that is always, they always want to be the funniest person on the show. Yeah. But if you're always booking people that are not at the level you're at, then you're mm-hmm. never going to get anywhere. Right. And then when you're right. thrown into a situation where it's a showcase or something where it's a festival and you're up against high caliber comics, yeah. it's going to rear its ugly head pretty quickly yeah. that you haven't been going iron sharpens iron type. Sure. You know, you're going to be like, whoa, I don't belong here. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's exactly. better. I'm going to leave it there. That's a great piece of advice. Cool. Well, thanks, Kristen, for hanging out today. Thank Appreciate you. It. Thanks for having me on. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Kristen Weber, very funny lady based in Atlanta, Georgia now. Uh, Hope you enjoyed the comedy samples we sprinkled in there. And you go check her out. She's a great blogger as well as a great comedian, great speaker. You can find her online at Kristen Weber Online. It's Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-I-N, Weber with one B, W-E-B-E-R, online.com. Love the fact that she shared that she had struggles and she stepped away for a while to kind of get a clear head, get a refocus of why she's on stage and came back stronger and better and now enjoying her show and enjoying sharing it with those, even though she finds stepping on stage itself a little terrifying. Pretty interesting and just a great, funny, funny lady. So check her out again, KristenWeberOnline.com. Follow her on Facebook, Twitter. Those are all available right there on our website in the top right corner, YouTube as well. So you can see what she's up to, where she's going, and maybe catch a show of hers. Hey, thanks again to the Art of Bombing podcast and to Alan Michael Harbour for supporting the show through sponsorships. And don't forget, if you're out there in New Orleans, I'll be there July 21st. Shoot me an email. If you're in Los Angeles, August 1st and 2nd, I'll be out there. And then Toronto, Canada, coming up really soon, July 18th and 19th. I'd love to connect with some listeners and some comedians and, and get to hang out a little bit. And if you are a Patreon supporter, again... Saturday, July 28th from 1 to 2 Central Standard Time here in the U.S. We'll have our Zoom hangout where we can go in deep, in deep, in depth, in deep depth, dive deep, deeply, deftly dive in depth, deeply into whatever topics are on your mind. And we'll take care of those. 
That's happening on July 28th. All right, you guys stay safe, stay funny, and stay cool out there. Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit schooloflaps.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay money.